up YouTube? It's Rico here, CEO of Source Asia, of course, the host of the Source Asia YouTube channel and the co-host of the Made in China podcast. I'm back with another one. Um, this is going to be a video cast. I had the pleasure of interviewing Mr. Mafan from the Mafan crew. And he also has a YouTube channel called Mafan Crew, you guessed it. And what's very interesting about their YouTube channel and, and the Mafan Crew in general is anybody could be part of the Mafan Crew. They are a group of expats that are you know, living around the world and they comment on social, cultural norms and they do pranks and things like that. I think one of the videos that I'd watched and I, the reason why I reached out to him was it was like who can get the most kisses in a Chinese mall or something like that. Like so, there was like they have little funny videos like that, and then some stuff that's a little bit more serious. So I went down to Shenzhen. We sat down at Coco Park, the beautiful Coco Park, very famous in China. It's like this big shopping mall, um, which is also surrounded by a lot of really nice restaurants and and um, expensive uh, boutique stores and stuff like that, and also bars. So at night, Coco Park becomes. The, the place to be in Shenzhen and yeah we sat down for an hour and a half and we chopped chopped it up about living in China his experiences his life in China he actually works uh, his full-time job was working in a Chinese manufacturer um, for toys and that was a very interesting conversation we had about you know him bringing in big accounts and how you know there was a lack of of focus with a lot of the things and just this typical stuff that I actually talk about on the channel but as a person working inside the factory as, a, as maybe one of the few foreigners working inside the factory what is that like so you know we had a very very broadly ranging conversation and he's a very fascinating guy Mr. Mafan and Mafan also translates uh, loosely to like problems or you know yeah sort of like problems so like it's it's like one of these things where in china sometimes a person will be walking down the street and if i bump into them or you know you almost bump into them like fun like under their breath it's just like uh, you know it's, it's a way to express frustration it's not necessarily super rude or anything like that but it just wanted to give you guys an idea of where that name comes from so of course this is another video cast i hope you enjoy it and don't forget to you know, check the show notes as well at the description. And if you check the links in the description, you should see the Mafan crew. Check out their YouTube channel. Very interesting stuff. And I will see you guys next week. Enjoy the podcast. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. out it is my coffee it's a beautiful, beautiful day beautiful day all right guys another video for, from rico from the source Fine asia youtube channel and i'm honored today to sit down with luigi mangasha that's right mangasha i got it right aka mr mafan mafan crew and today we're just going to be doing a deep dive into what brought him into china how he started his youtube channel what he's doing in china at the moment all right so uh let's just start with your youtube channel or channels can you just break down what your channels are about? You have the Mafan crew. Uh, you're telling a little bit about that before we started. Right. Um, the Mafan crew started as a as an outlet for multicultural um, citizens here in China. Mm -hmm. As a part of this international community, I felt the necessity to to um, speak up and 
tell my opinion and my friends, my crew's opinion on several topics. It is very interesting to me to see when we talk about, let's say, um, homosexuality or interracial relationships. Yeah. It's very interesting to me to see how a person from Thailand, a, a Muslim person, a, uh, an American, a Mexican, a uh, Brazilian, uh, Romanian and so on, we got different opinions on the same topic. Uh, we're still friends, but we are able to speak up and share our, our opinions on, on that topic. Yeah. So that was the starting point on, on the channel. So that's what is the Mafran Crew. It's a multicultural outlet for people to speak up. Lately, people started to join the crew as as we are always open. It is not that we are just seven, eight or ten people always the same and we become famous or no. It is about everyone joining the crew because like I like to say it, we are all Mafan crewers because we come from different backgrounds, we have different ethnicities, we have different nationalities that defines us of course. But that doesn't mean that we cannot get along. How does, if somebody wants to join the Mahan crew, how does somebody, what's the initiation process? <laughs> well, there's no initiation process <laughs> like that. <clears throat> the only thing I need is for you to be extrovert and be willing to share your opinion no matter what. Yeah. Because I believe when you have this need and you want to share, you cannot be shy. I'm not saying it's not possible. Mm -hmm. There might be uh, some YouTubers uh, in, in, on the net, like actually shy and very popular. That might be a niche market, but I believe you have to be extrovert. Yeah. Otherwise, it's gonna, um, it's gonna come against the purpose of sharing, in my opinion. Okay. How did you guys come up with the name? The name was a funny process because we wanted something special since everything started in China. Yeah, we also wanted. Mafan is like problems in China. Exactly. Mafan. Thai Mafan means annoying. <laughs> annoying, yeah. Bothersome, yes. Um, so we wanted something Chinese, but also at the same time, we wanted uh, people that just come for vacations to remember something, you know? When you go to a country uh, for uh, vacations for a week or so, normally you remember how to say thank you, hello, um, how much, stuff yeah. like that. We believed that mafan is one of those words, at least in the Chinese language. Uh, it's sometimes like, it's like we, a simple word that, that when you hear it, like you can... Because I, I remember well, I, my experience with mafan was just like walking around hearing people say mafan randomly. And it's like, you know, somebody might say a full sentence in yeah. Chinese and you end. don't understand, and you just say mafan, and you're like, well, what is mafan? I was like, and eventually I, I kind of understood the context because every time I saw somebody saying it, they were frustrated. That's <laughs> so, right, yeah. So I was like, maybe it's a swear For word. the or, angry yeah. look yeah. at the end, yes. Yeah. And then I asked one of my friends and he explained it to me, but yeah. It is one of those words, like, it is pretty memorable and it's easy to say. So, yeah. yeah. We use it as foreigners. Yeah. Even using our own languages. Yeah. You could say at the end, like, oh man, you're, you're just mafan. Yeah. Forget it, you're mafan. Or, oh no, that's mafan, let's go. 
Yeah. You know? So that's that's how. So then uh, you have a second channel as well? The second channel, it's um, me as a producer, um, Luigi Mangasha, that's the name. But there I, I create more content in Spanish. Um, the Mafran crew is like 70% English, 30% Spanish. And the Luigi Mangasha channel, it's the other way around. Okay. So in the Luigi Mangasha, I do interviews, a lot of interviews. Got a series on, on, on vegans. I'm not vegan myself, by the way, but I believe you're right, guys. Out there, all the vegan <laughs> you're people. You're supporting the, the cause, but you're not vegan? I support the cause, <laughs> but I'm not vegan, I know. Do not hate me, do not eat me on the comments, but it just happens. Right. I know my friends have told me that I have to go vegan. Uh, I got my reasons why not to, but You just anyways. enjoy eating meat. I like to say that I don't want to make my life difficult. Yeah, okay. It's kind of hard. It's also it's also extremely it's extremely difficult to be even a vegetarian. It is. It's just a, it's an extremely difficult thing. True. So vegan is almost impossible, not impossible, but it's really difficult. It's it is hard. Fun. It is my fun. It's exactly. Fun. You, see, you see You see what I did? There? <laughs> um, okay, so let's backtrack. Let's okay. go to the beginning. Um, before we get into your story, obviously you lived in Shenzhen. How long have you been in Shenzhen? Actually, my story started in Beijing. Okay. Uh, I was, I, was I always like to say that I'm a Beijing boy. But you live in Shenzhen right now? Right now I live in Shenzhen, it's been a year. Where are we located? I am actually kind of close from here. It's a window of the world, yeah. like 25 minutes metro. Yeah, and so right now we're sitting in Coco Park, which is one of the most famous uh, shopping centers in Shenzhen, really in southern China. And yeah. in and around here, there's a lot of nightclubs, bars, things like that. So you'll find a lot of foreigners live here. The good ones. Good ones, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just a, definitely a beautiful place to come check out. So I thought it would be nice to record here as well. So you said your story started in Beijing. Yeah. Your China story. My but China story. Where, where are you from originally? I'm from Mexico. From Mexico. Mexico City. Nice. That was the land that saw me come to this world. <laughs> and after a while, I decided to leave. <laughs> in order to leave. Yeah, in order to live. <laughs> okay, so you, you're in Mexico, you decide to move to China when? And how? That was 2008, and I wanted to study Chinese. I had the plan of study Chinese one year, master it, yeah. like, you know, fool me. Quite a, quite a, quite a few people think and I, I feel like I had a similar plan when I first came to China. I was like, yeah, I'm going to learn Chinese in eight months or whatever. And it's just... <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Yeah. It may happen, but it's not the rule, guys. Do not let me discourage you because it could be. But I believe that would be like 90-10. If you really apply yourself and study, and actually you've got this talent for languages as well, then you may do it in one year. Otherwise, it's going to take more time. Not impossible, though, yeah. but it's going to take time. Okay, so you said you wanted to move to China, learn the language. Wanted to move to China, learn the language, and then go back, um, get my life back, make millions, and live there happily ever after. What was but... the plan to learn Chinese and then go back and start doing business from China? Like, no, what, actually... What was the... Why China? My background is I studied law yeah. and accounting. So I got to bachelor's and I was basically moving towards the uh, fiscal side of, of law. 
So Chinese was just something about the language itself that I had. I do not speak many languages, but well, Spanish, English, Chinese, and a little bit of Italian. So I thought that I had this talent for languages, so I wanted just to learn, basically. Uh, back then I didn't want to import or export anything, basically. It was just China, it was the language. Was just a, you just had a passion for the language? Yes. So then, what happened? <laughs> then, uh, China happened. <laughs> China happened, uh, beautiful experiences. China made me grow in so many levels, personal, professional. Um, then, I decided to stay. I was, I was doing all kinds of jobs, from teaching English, to working at the embassy, to um, opening my own company, to now I'm a regional manager for a toy factory and uh, on YouTube. And so this was in Beijing when you're doing all this other stuff? Or like Basically Beijing, yeah. yeah. The, uh, the, the managerial position just happened in Shenzhen. And my beautiful girl, of course. <laughs> Did not forget you. <laughs> Damn, I almost got in trouble. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't, like, uh, for me, I just like, uh, I'm not gonna talk about you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you, so how long were you in Beijing? Beijing, um, nine years or so. Wow. Kind of lost count. Nine years, eight, nine years. So you, you're like, uh, you're like my business partner. You're a China veteran, you know? I am. As there's something, even when I when I met you, there's something that I notice whenever I meet somebody that's been in China for more than eight years, there's something in their eyes. Like, like, <laughs> like you've seen some, some shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, this guy's been, he's been here for a while. And then it's just like, the, there's an aura, you know? That's right. Maybe calm, but like, yeah. prepared for anything to happen. Yeah, you're just aware. Yep. You know, it's like like Mexico. I do not like to talk about about Mexico much because I got very radical point of points of view about about it, and many times I clash with fellow Mexicans because well, they love the country and all, and I'm, I don't that much because in Mexico you gotta be ready for anything, like. Um, Average criminals or organized crime are the government, which are the biggest organized crime ever. So, here in China, you also are aware of everything, not because somebody's gonna rob you, but for instance, somebody might. I gotta accept that Shenzhen is very well, uh, better civilized uh, than Beijing, yeah. but there, if you're not aware or you just walk, um, aimlessly wandering around, somebody might spit on you, on your way. You will never know where that came from. Yeah. Stuff like that. So not you're that aware. they're not that they're targeting you. It's just they're spitting. It's just because happens. they spit a lot, and yes. then you, you need to pay attention to what's going on around you. So where you you're walking, even yeah. maybe they're not gonna spit, but you're gonna step on. On this way, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or you know turrets and stuff. So that's the kind of awareness that you... What is going on? I don't know. Some events started. That's the kind of awareness that, that you raise in, in China, I believe. And also the awareness of... of in, in, the job, in the job place. Um, 
I made a video actually about like how not to get in jail, how yeah. not to get in trouble in China. One of my points was make sure the offer is legit. Sometimes you might get offered a very good position with your own office and very good salary and this and that. It turns out at, at, after some time, you're gonna be blamed for something the company's gonna do because they know already. They just they're just using they're you. using you, yeah, they're setting so, right? you up for uh, and actually happened. There was a Mexican in Shanghai. Uh, he was there like in house arrest for a year and a half or so because the company did that to him. Yeah. His, his signature was all over the place. So how could he say, no, I didn't do it. He did it. I mean, he didn't know the company and the he investors. Didn't know that, that, and he didn't know what was going on behind the scenes, but. Exactly. Um, but anyways, I mean, whenever you get offered a very good position, something that you don't believe, I mean, I'm not saying you don't take it. You might be lucky, but just doubt it a little bit. Ask about it, do your research. I don't know, just don't go for it right away. Okay. That kind of awareness. So, eight, nine years in Beijing, what, I guess, what are the, what are the main lessons you've learned from being in China for such a long time? <sighs> I have learned to be more patient that's something that I always talk about. That's like the number one lesson that I've, China has taught me. Yes. Is, is patience, yeah. You gotta be patient. Uh, number two would be not just to be open-minded, which you should be, but also like willing to accept that. One thing, to, when you're open-minded, you know that there's gonna be a kid with the assless pants walking around. <laughs> yeah. So that's like, oh, open mind, oh, cool. Oh, let me take a picture and then, you know, you are fine with it. But to actually accept it is that that kid might actually sit on you in the subway. You're sitting right here, the mom comes. So the, the kid is walking around, kid sits. It's a kid, it's like two, three year old. Yeah. Suddenly he's gonna just jump and sit on you. Now, are you gonna accept that? I'm, I'm I accepting know, that. I don't know if I'm ready to accept you, that. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready to accept <laughs> some kid with assless pants you know that I don't saying? know like, what it's going to be. That's this part where you have to accept uh, rather than just I mean, be open-minded. I'll be like, yeah, look at the mom, like, you're not going to, you know. You and know. the mom is going to look at you like, is there a problem? <laughs> and you, you, think really? this, you think this is okay? <laughs> well, I, but not even just that, not, not necessarily the actual aspect of like thinking this kid is dirty or anything like that, but isn't it just weird to have your child sit on a stranger's lap, you know? The third one to me is that in China, all the rules change yeah. all the time, any level, from the government to the street, for real. So perhaps these three are, or what else I could possibly... Three biggest lessons? Yes. What about uh, three big mistakes, three major mistakes that you made? Oh, well, you know how easy it is to talk good about yourself, <laughs> but not, you know, like in an interview, like, give me your three uh, strengths. <laughs> and then when they'll tell like your weaknesses, you're like, oh, whoa, I, I don't, don't have, have any. Have it, yeah. <laughs> Mistakes. Um, it could even just be one mistake. It doesn't have to be three. One, one that I know, and I'm very, very much aware now, is that I should have come to the south earlier. 
just came a year ago. Um, uh, a company took me from Beijing to, to Shenzhen. But I wanted to do it before. Didn't do it for personal reasons. Um, but even, even though I, I know now that I should have, because Beijing is good. But if you're studying, I did my master's there, so then it's good. If you're doing some politics, I did some politics there, so it's also good. Politics? I was working for the embassy. Okay. But if you're not doing that, it is not the right place for you. Mm, aside from the pollution and... and well, there's, you know, also, there's also a lot of the software companies there. There are, but not as much. I mean... Like the Silicon Valley, it's in Shenzhen, not in Beijing. Well, they're, they're developing right. it out here, but like uh, before, a lot of the software-based uh, tech companies were there, and then the, the right. physical, like like electronics, were here. Um, I think they're trying to shift it over and develop the Silicon Valley in Shenzhen. Okay. But yeah. So yeah, perhaps that, and yeah, I'm sure there are more mistakes. I've, I've I make mistakes, especially every weekend here. You know, yeah, the south. 12. The south is. Uh, I feel like the south is way more westernized. It's it's developing quite quickly. Yeah. Apart from maybe a Shanghai, you know, Beijing is a little bit older. It's a little bit more traditional, I assume, right? They hung hung up hung on to the cultural, uh, their tradition and their their customs. Yeah, in Beijing. Shanghai, well, it's been Shanghai yeah. since, you know, back in the day. Yeah, Shanghai is And Shenzhen is like place. the uh, jewel of the crown, in my opinion. Uh, besides the fact that it's an um, exclusive economic zone, that's what they called it back in the 80s, um, Shenzhen, right? So the nature of this city is that people from all the country come, gather up here, mainly young people, to create that's what I like about the city. Basically, young people trying to make something. It's not like in Beijing. Chinese people in Beijing, in general, of course, in my opinion, go there because they want to get some sort of a bureaucrat job. But here, they want to make something. They want to create something. And that's what makes it different. Well, you can even see, um, for example, in Guangzhou, when the Beijing government comes to, like, I think they come like once or twice a year, no. the whole city becomes like different. Like people start behaving different. Like the 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 uh, the civil workers start actually doing their job, actually working. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yeah. oh, you know, I, the other day I saw this guy. Well, I was at a restaurant, and uh, there's like three guys looked like security guys. So I wasn't sure what they were doing, and there was like a, a like a menu stand. And it was like just outside of the restaurant, like on the balcony or the patio. And the guy comes, he looks at it, and then he looks at his buddy, his buddy starts filming him, and then he moves it. And then he goes and gets one of the waitresses and says, you need to move this thing. Because he was like, it's not in the right position. There's a, like, a, I guess, zonal laws in terms of how far, where you can put things, how far from your patio. And I was like, why did you, he moved it and then told her to move it. And I was like, the guy was filming and was like, yeah, I'm working. Look at me, yeah. I'm working. Like, and then even uh, they shut down like a lot of the patios and bars and stuff like that when the government from Beijing comes down because, you know, they're like, oh, we need to clean and show them that we're following the rules. As soon as the government leaves, 
they go back to normal. Go back to normal. Back to yes, as usual. So it is like that. There's definitely, uh, there's definitely like more pressure, I guess, on North, but it's more traditional. Like the, uh, we call it, we used to call it in Beijing, the um, United Nations uh, Beijing Day. <laughs> you know, when, when, I don't know, any, any kind of uh, governmental uh, yeah, big summit or conference uh, happens in Beijing, that day, the skies were blue. <laughs> awesome blue. Oh, you know crazy. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So they were like, oh, okay. That's like a G whatever uh, kind of day. G20 kind of day, you know? And well, people behaved that those days. So what was it like? I mean, being in Beijing pretty much 10 years ago versus now, like the way life is right now. I just love it, you know? like. I really like to think, and actually feel it that way, that Shenzhen is the city I was meant to be. I am happier. I got a sweet job. Things are happening now to me. Not that things didn't happen back then in Beijing because they did happen. But here, it's more like my city. You know, like right now we got the sun here. It's kind of being math on a little bit. But in Beijing, I believe by now we, we would still be wearing lots of layers, you know, like because yes, it's cold. It's freezing. Exactly. So that I'm not I'm not a person for it for the cold. Not at all. It 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 doesn't let me shine, you know, like I don't even want to go out of my house on a cold day, which would be like four or five months of the year there. So starting with that and uh, the young community, as for the expert community, I don't see that much of a difference, uh, to be honest, because there's also lots of foreigners there. In, in the approach, yes. In the personality, yes. Like I said, there is like more, more for, for um, just have fun, uh, chill. Here is more for work, do something, create something. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not, in my 20s anymore, so I wouldn't be, I don't want to be doing that anymore. Not that I don't like it, but I don't want to do that anymore, you know? I'm more like focused right now to, to build something. Um, so that's what I love about Shenzhen. And, oh, I almost forgot, and probably is the most important reason, Hong Kong is just right here. Yeah. So that gives the city the handicap of being an example for the rest of China because I believe the Chinese people here want to, let's say, become more like Hong Kongese people in the way they, even in the way they dress, the way they behave, the way they talk, everything. It is probably just the, the fact that geographically is right here. And even if you compare the cities by themselves, you'll see that they do behave differently. You put Beijing the biggest. Beijing, Guangzhou, Shenzhen, Shanghai, they all behave different. What did you do for money when you were in Beijing? Oh, like I said, I, I well, I was uh, an English teacher. I played for a band with a very good friend um, from Argentina. Very beautiful, by the way. Um, Nat, if, you, if you're watching this one, so Wait, that you, I like, play djembe, drums, drums? Yeah. the djembe, the African drum. Um, what else? I don't know. I did everything. All these jobs like for 100 yuan that you go and read something, proofread something, 
I don't know, lots of stuff. This is all sick. So then how did you get this, this, the job that you have right now? That was through network, you know, like kind of Quincy, because, you know, after some time, like I would say thanks to WeChat, you know, because um, even though I'm connected to the outside world, I do have Facebook, YouTube and everything else that most of us foreigners have, yep. I mean, access to. Um, but aside of that, my WeChat is like what I normally on a daily basis use, right? So back then I was like literally just like, hey guys, if somebody knows of a post, I'm looking for a job in this and that, like marketing, business development, got these kind of years of experience and basically, and I'm, I, I kid you not, like so after just, like a week. Just to give people context, so you're talking about your WeChat moments, right? My WeChat moments. So WeChat moments would be kind of like Facebook wall, like a True. Facebook feed or Instagram feed kind mm -hmm. of thing. So you just post there and then all, all the people that are friends with you can see it. Exactly. So I was like lucky and in a week, like a friend of mine was like, oh, I know somebody, but he's not in Shenzhen, but he's in Guangzhou. You might want to talk to him. And then we, 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 uh, we got an appointment, we talked and yeah, later I was working for him. Awesome. So kind of thing. That's super, that's actually a very important lesson. One, networking. Which is something that I want to see, like you said before. Which is something I, I talk about a lot in my podcast and stuff. But then the other thing was WeChat. I talk about WeChat from the manufacturing side of things. Mm -hmm. But if you're here doing business and, and living in China, like building those relationships, being able to post on WeChat, it just makes you more accessible. You know, it makes sure. you more accessible. Some companies, um, Western companies, in my opinion, make the mistake of thinking that if they got the platforms already there, whatever those are, well-established, well-managed, and they come to China and tell the Chinese partner or the client or the supplier or whatever, like, here, check me out. Some of, even big, they wouldn't be able to access that. And they will ask you for either your Weipo yeah. or your WeChat. Yeah. So if you're not ready there, you're missing out. It's important, very important. Yeah, I very rarely give out my phone number in China. It's always WeChat. Not anymore. Yeah. True. Um, so, okay, kind of it's, we're transitioning more into the business side of things. So you have this job, your regional manager for this manufacturer. Yeah. So they have an office in Guangzhou, right? Yeah. And then their factory is, is in Shenzhen? We got three factories. Hong Kong, well, actually four. Hong Kong, Japan, Tokyo, a small one. Um, Dongguan and Guangzhou. Okay. No office in Shenzhen. So what? I work from Shenzhen. You work in Shenzhen. That was a, your choice? Sorry? Was it your choice? Like they didn't want to put you in Dongguan or no, Guangzhou? No, that was my choice, my negotiation. Okay. So. Sorry. By the way, guys, now that you're listening to this, yeah. I truly believe that we all know how to sell things. The moment you go out there to look for a job, you're selling yourself. Learn to sell yourself. That's what I would say. Okay, like, how did you negotiate the living in Shenzhen thing versus being where? For instance, that, my job is to develop the USA market and the European market. So, for starters, those markets open at night, night time here. <clears throat> so, 
One of the points was like, at some point, I'm gonna be working 24 hours. And you're not gonna pay the 24 hour um, package or, or um, equivalent to this guy. Because it doesn't even make sense mostly to have me, in this case, in the morning here because there's, they haven't opened. Yeah. Yes, I can reply to emails. Yes, I can go check the factories, but basically my job is to approach clients, talk to them, get close to them, right? Get strong leads, bring them to the factory, send it to sales. That's pretty much the business development process. So that, that was one of the, of, the, of the selling points, my selling points. So he understood and he was like, okay, well, that makes sense. Um, that's why I said that's, that was a sweet job for me because uh, honestly, I wouldn't go to Dunguan, for instance, like to work. Like, Have you read the uh, yeah. four, I'm sure you read the four hour work week? The four what? Four hour work week. No. By Tim Ferriss? No, no, no. So Tim Ferriss, uh, it's kind of like, people say it's like the location independent Bible, but one of the things that he talked about in that book was being able to negotiate uh, offsite work or uh, negotiate, you know, unusual working hours, location-independent uh, work. So it's kind of exactly what you did. That's uh, something, one of the strategies that he talks about in the book is saying like, well, I can work from home, like maybe starting off, if you already have the job, starting off saying like, let me work from home one day out of the week or yeah. a couple hours with this day or whatever, and then slowly showing that you don't need to be in the office right. to, to do your job effectively. And for you, it was like, you know, I'm dealing with clients that are not in China anyways, so I don't really need to be at the factory. And if I need to come to the factory, then you just arrange that. Exactly. So what is your day-to-day -day work like? So you're, I guess you're working mostly at night? Yeah. Working mostly at night, and like, how are you reaching out to people? Like, how does that work? For example, um, right now in Mexico, there, there's gonna be a presidential election. So there's lots of stuff as um, souvenirs and and, and uh, promotional gifts to be given to the people, and there are millions of dollars spent, really badly spent. But I mean, I'm not. I didn't make the rules. Didn't make the rules. It just happens. Anyway, so they can't. Uh, yeah, that's super. Rough. So they contact me, for example, and they tell me like, "Hey, Luis, I want to make a." PVC USB shell with a memory of two gigabytes. Yeah. How much would that be with these names and these logos and this? But for instance, like I had this negotiation with Mexico just a few weeks ago. It took me like two or three weeks, almost every day, starting around 1 a.m. Because, well, I mean, they're not gonna start at 8 a.m., let yeah. me tell you something. So there's gonna be like 10, <laughs> right after they, they had breakfast or something. So 10 or 11 a.m., very 11 a.m., contact me. Hey, Luis, so um, the... Um, the drone. Somebody is filming us. <laughs> so there's gonna be a change on this, but we want to see, and seriously, like two, three hour talks, two, three hour talk every time, every day. So after like three weeks, finally, I got them like to accept my quotation. Yeah. Beforehand, they were just like, oh, well, let me talk. You know, that's a lot of bureaucracy, I understand. But the point is like, it's not just as easy in, in some countries. 
it wouldn't be like an hour negotiation and, and quickly give a quotation. I like your nod, let's make it, no. So that's, for example, how, how I approach things. They, they, they talk to me, we start checking which materials, which, um, which products, which colors, which sizes. I mean, I'm not production, but I know my way around it. So I'd suggest, and after that, I have to, of course, go back, like next day, my next day, to, to production and sales, check well, what would be the prices for that, go back to that night again, and tell them, like, okay, for what you told me, this is gonna be the price. But if you go this way, this is gonna be the price. So it's kind of a long way, but, yeah. well, it works. Um, for them and, and for the factory. For me, not so much because at some point, actually, I'm working day and night. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyways, that's part of, uh, of, of the same, of the job, I think. So that's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, obviously, you have a salary. Do you get any, like, bonuses and stuff like that? Or? No, no, no. The first negotiation was uh, just uh, salary because I could have negotiated a commission, for instance, but... In my opinion, I wanted to prove myself first, right? The, the, the markets are new. So I didn't want to go and straight away tell them like, okay, uh, now I need 15% of that. Because we weren't selling anything anyway. Yeah. So I want to, and I believe that's also very important for, for people to, I mean, especially as an employee, you do not go and tell them how much you're worth it's okay to sell yourself, but also you have to prove yourself. Once you prove yourself and uh, you make yourself indispensable, right? Then you can, you can get more and more and you can renegotiate maybe next year or so. so. Uh, it's, uh, that's like one of the 48 laws of power. <laughs> it's like making yourself, like uh, coming in with low demands and then like proving yourself. Once you become indispensable, then you're in a, a bigger position to, to negotiate. And they're not going to tell you no. Yeah, two things. So what is it like working in a Chinese company? I, I, when I was teaching English, I worked for a Chinese company. Some of my, my, the company I worked for was pretty good. They were kind of like a startup. Yeah. Um, they partnered with a foreign and like two foreign guys who had been teaching for a very long time. So it, it was not a traditional Chinese company, but there were certain things where it was like, we'd walk in and they'd had a board meeting and made some decisions and then just implemented them like immediately without talking to, the, without talking to us who were the staff. Yeah. So it was just like things like that. You really feel that you have no uh, say in what happens in Whatsoever. Whereas of course in Western companies, even though at the end of the day, it's the CEO's decision or the board's decision, they usually want to sit down with the staff and say, we're thinking about Somebody doing this. Somebody wants to say something? Yeah, do you, what do you guys think about this? And then kind of go back and forth. So what have your experiences been like? So you guys have seen me waking up early for the past two days. You've seen me going to factories, You've seen me dealing with my Chinese employees. You see me at the IFC Tower, you see me working late. But you might be wondering or asking, how, how did I get here?
that's it. It's two days in the life. 25 year old CEO, Social Fan Asia, Made in China podcast, manufacturing consulting in China. Well, it's it's certainly not the first time I've worked for a Chinese company, right? Like after 10 years or so in, yeah. in China, yeah. I've been been around in, in, in Chinese companies. But probably the first time I got like a, a better position where I could possibly make a, a change. And I always tell them, especially to, to the people uh, under my management, if the boss wanted to do the things you do it, why would he hire me? Mm. He hired a foreigner because he needed somebody to think like they do, like we foreigners do, basically. So <clears throat> when I tell you to do it to the left, there's a reason I'm doing it to the left. If I have the time, I would explain to you. But if I don't have the time, you just please do it. So what I'm going with this, is this, the Chinese business culture is strong, just like the culture itself. It is so hard to change it. No wonder few, just few companies have made it big time internationally. Hire, Alibaba, um, Huawei, because they took the time to think like they do, just like as we foreigners, when we come to China, we have to understand them and think like them. It's the other way around. You want to go to the U.S., you want to go to Africa, you want to go to South America. First, go there, study, research, then plan, then you implement. But exactly just what you said. Here it seems that, I know time is money, but it seems like there's a rush to do things here. It is like, oh, man. The boss just said like to uh, give a 2% discount on, on any quotation uh, bigger than 100,000 pieces. And they just go right away to talk to everyone. And it's like, okay, hold on. Check first the materials. Check first the capacity in the factory. Maybe we don't have capacity now. Maybe we are just on on point, we cannot produce more than that because the month tells us that we can just produce like five million pieces. If you go with that right now in this moment, we're gonna end up not delivering and it's also bad. Yeah. So maybe you wait for one week, talk to the manager in production and then, you know, you talk, you communicate, you plan. That's my point. Then that is one of the, of the, of the things exactly like, they seem to, to rush doing everything, no communication. The culture is strong and they don't want to change. And, um, well, there are so many more things, right? For example, in, 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 I have the impression that many of these big, let's say, maybe I'll be wrong with this number, but 70% of the big companies mainly Chinese companies with no foreign investment. 70 of those big, not medium, not small, big companies, making millions of dollars a month. 
they do things very, very organically. Like read, I like to say. Me meaning? Meaning, they just do. Yeah. There is no... There's no planning? There's no plan. There's no planning. There's no process. process. Yeah. There's no... Almost, there's no aim. You just sell. But you don't know why you sold to that person. You had another... You had a competitor, but you wanted to sell. Maybe that competitor was smaller, but with a bigger reach or a better network or, you know, it was actually better to sell to him first. There will never be that kind of understanding, at least so far. So when you try to implement that, which I'm trying to do, it's very hard. They don't accept it easy. They just fight with you. Like, why would you think that much? Just sell, 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 quick. And that... Who's, who's saying, why do you think that much? Is it the people working underneath you or the... Yeah, the, and other managers. And the managers as well. So they're saying, oh, you're, you're thinking about it too much. Like, let's just do it. Just do it. Let's just do it. It was funny, man, because in my company, um, closer to the Chinese New Year, everybody was selling. I mean, again, don't get me wrong, sell. Uh, sales is good, it's necessary, of course, it's vital for the company and on and so on, but... The reputation is also extremely important. Back then, um, human resources was selling. I heard her. I was <laughs> like, really? You're selling now? You, you, you're sending quotations? Yeah. Then I, over, I overheard finance doing the same. <laughs> so I was like, okay, so everybody's selling here. Um, and again, it's the same mentality, the quick sales. Yeah. Perhaps many of these um, bosses, they don't care because they are just, they're making millions anyway. Yeah, they don't, yeah. Why would they think that much? Well, there's definitely, uh, I mean, with my experience with factories and stuff like that, I agree with this aspect of one, um, a lot of times there's a lack of systemization into why they're doing things the way they do. Even if they systemize the production of how they make the products and stuff like that, like understanding why there's a sales department, why uh, why foreign clients want this versus this, and why you know why you should focus on this, why you should focus on customer service, and why you should explain to a client that uh, before they place an order that this thing is going to be more expensive because you can't find this material. But then they wait until you're like at the very last minute. Yes. And they go, oh, by the way, uh, we can't find this material. Like, this is going to be five cents more expensive. It's like, well, you should have mentioned this before, you know? Yeah. So uh, I find myself explaining to both my clients and my factories why the factories think like this or what the factory's going to do. And then explaining to my clients, I mean, explaining to the factories why my clients want certain things and why they want certain uh, pieces of information. And then a lot of times the factories feel like it's not fun. Because it's like, uh, well, it's too much. Why, why, why do this? Is too many details. Like, uh, you know, it's like, why can't we just wasting time? Yeah, you're wasting time. This is they start. think. Yeah. Why, why are we doing so many inspections? It's like, yeah. no, because we want to make sure that the product is made properly, and you know, the customer wants the customer's reputation is more important than them getting the goods a week early. You know, it's like things like that. I'm constantly explaining to factories. True. Yeah. What do you think is? Do you see changes in your company? based on the, the time that you've been working there, trying to get them to think a little bit differently? Anytime soon. <laughs> no, honestly, no. I've tried. I've tried hard. 
you know, my Chinese is good enough. I talk to everyone in China. I'm the only foreigner, so starting with that, it's complicated. Yeah. So I've tried talking to the boss. I report to him directly. So talking to him in Chinese, trying to explain, and there's a point where I get stuck in my Chinese skills. So I tell him like, okay, let me go back to my computer, open my dictionaries and translators and everything, even ask friends, um, write something, the explanation, send it back to him, ho hoping that he would understand my point. But it's been a year and I guess he didn't, he didn't buy it. You know, I guess... Or he's just too busy driving his Ferrari. Probably so, <laughs> yes. You know, like, maybe I would think the same if I was making so many millions a month and why would I bother? Maybe... Well, it's, it's a big part of the reason why uh, people say, like, it's good to have competition, right? Because if there's competition, it exactly. forces, you, forces you to improve your systems, improve your company. Um, and I think what's happening right now is... I mean, what's been happening for a very long time is that the factories have been making so much money and there's so much demand that they don't really feel the need to systemize and become better. You know, and then a, but there are a few factories that do that, and I notice those factories are even growing faster. You know, but like some of these other guys, it's going to take a while before they start to realize that they need to improve certain things. And it's probably going to be too late when they realize it. Probably so. Yep. And, and one more thing is that, okay, you want to go out there. You want to conquer yeah. the US market. Mature markets are not the Southeast Asian markets whatsoever. For many of those markets, customer service is key. Yeah. Communication is key. It's not just about your product. But again, they don't understand that. And whenever there's a competitor who does that, Maybe when they realize it's going to be too late already. Or maybe they just give up and just keep doing domestic. Domestic sales. Right. What is the, well, I mean, 1.5 billion people, like, you know. <laughs> they got a point there. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, what is the, what are the biggest misconceptions you think the people that you work with have about foreign clients? Or foreigners, as a, from the business side of things, what are, what are the misconceptions? Um, probably number one that everyone is just f so focused on on the price. Yes, everybody wants a, a cheap price, but it's it's not that it's eighty twenty. It might be fifty or sixty forty, fifty fifty. Uh, the other part, the other forty, the other fifty is actually your job as a company as a whole not just a price yeah but here it seems to be like no no just give him cheap and he's gonna buy he's gonna be happy you know like in three months probably i can say like just three months i mean i know my trade right but in three months i brought the three biggest uh, overseas clients that the company had walmart samsung and revlon and to my to my, um, I forgot the word, huh? To my discomfort, to my disadvantage, to my... Displeasure? Hmm? Displeasure? That could work. To yeah. my displeasure, yeah. the company didn't act on them. How? 
you know, it took me, it took me a lot of work because yeah. it is, you know, you know, you don't get to these companies to to not even the headquarters and say like, hey, by the way, I sell this phones. Can I come in and talk to the sales manager or whatever? When you say they didn't act, they didn't act on them. Just meaning how, like, we well, lost them. How did they, what happened? Like what happened? Like, brought them, brought them, brought them to the negotiation table. Yeah. For example, Walmart brought the contract, which you know Walmart, probably the biggest shark, right? There is. Um, they they gave me the the contract. They said like, okay, read everything. I got all the way up to to law. And that guy told me like, oh, just give me these papers, sign it. Right after that, you go back to the person that you already contact. You start selling, no matter what. Because I got I got a good report with him, you know. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, Walmart was from my own network. Yeah. Not even from any exhibition or, or you know. Anyway, so um, gave the contract to the factory, and I, you know, it's like a contract. <laughs> and I told my assistant, tell them to translate this into Chinese. Because even though I could possibly do it, first, it's gonna take me forever. Second, it's not gonna be half good as a professional Chinese company would do it. And I believe this is super important. First, because it's Walmart. Yeah. Secondly, because it's the contract. Yeah. Our boss. Well, they must also they just don't it. like that. I can even answer what happens there is they just, they just don't value contracts. Like they're like eh, that too. Perhaps is, they thought it was too much. Yeah, they're just like, yeah, what is you know? Why are we signing these crazy documents? Like, what does this even mean? You know, so it's like, and then, could you believe that? Yeah. So to me, it was like very frustrating when I saw, like, basically three months of work, hard work because again, like I said, I wanted to prove myself. So in three months, I was like, okay, I'm made of this. And, and after that, seeing those big clients lost, I was like, dude, are you for real? <laughs> so what am I supposed to do now? You want me to keep bringing big fish and you're not gonna even take care of them? Even my own reputation is at stake at yeah. this point. You know what I'm saying? Like, Because big companies communicate. That's everybody knows. The CFO and the CFO and the CEO or CMO of many companies, they go and golf together. They dine together, right? So they talk. So when you go as, 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 a, as a big shot trying to do something, to sell something, and then you do not, you do not make it happen, then you actually look bad. Yeah. So there's no way you could possibly keep bringing one in the hopes for one of those not to give you Mathlin with a big contract. So long story short, they didn't translate it because it was too expensive and I was like, are you kidding me? Is this expensive? Even if it was 50,000 RMB on the translation, I mean, the boss had to understand it perfectly in Chinese before he signs. Yeah. Anyway, stuff like that. So it's interesting. So then, uh, doesn't does that put you in a position where you kind of feel like you lose a little bit of inspiration because you're bringing in? You know, I could possibly say so, man. For real, yeah. like I like to surround myself with winners. Maybe it's gonna sound 
like I'm flexing. So what, but... what did the what did so it's kind of confusing because it seems like the boss was very forward thinking and being like, okay, I want to bring in an actual suddenly... foreigner to you know bring in foreign sales and, and so that we have somebody that thinks like the customers. And then when you're actually doing what you're supposed to be doing, then they're not taking action. And it's like a... I don't understand, man. <laughs> I, 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 I don't. Yeah. It, it, it's very confusing. Yeah. Seriously, I, 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 me, I don't understand. So I've talked to him. What's, what's the recourse? I'm supposed to. Oh, because maybe I mentioned it, but, but in many Chinese companies as well, yeah, I did mention it, that they don't work with uh, order, right? So they just work. Yeah. So like, for instance, I created the marketing department as well. So I, I'm kind of running two departments, marketing and business development. So um, as part of marketing, you know, I, I know my trade on, on, on editing and, and videos and, and equipment, and I know, I know people and this and that. So I'm like, okay, let's make something. Let's make a corporate video, let's make some, uh, some ads, some commercials and this and that. Um, but also, when, when we were, we were uh, on, on the same page, I thought, suddenly they also like, like um, um, shut me out, you know, like, okay, yes, we're gonna do it, but not now. And I'm like, we need, we need a commercial, we need these, we need that. I need to be in, in, in exhibitions. I need to be in summits, in conferences, in, in associations, meetings, and you know, plastics and stuff. But I'm, I'm at the office. I mean, again, like I'm not sales. So all these back to the point that yes, one might lose inspiration at some point. Because like I was saying, I, I like to think that I surround myself with winners. Uh, I still think my company is, is good enough, but it's coming to the point that, that I'm in oblivion. I'm in oblivion right now. I don't know what's gonna happen. And that's not very satisfactory. What advice would you have for somebody that wants to work for a Chinese company uh, as a foreigner? You know, as, as in China in general, I would say get your expectations not that high. <laughs> Yours personally yeah, high, you, yes. It's so, it's so crazy because you've uh, <clears throat> you quoted another thing that I, I said in a podcast before. I was like, lower your expectations so that you can get the results that you want. Your own expectations, your personal expectations must be high. Yes, absolutely. You reach for the stars, definitely. But towards the company, not that much. Because yeah. otherwise, when you fall, it's, it, it's gonna hurt. So what's your plan uh, moving forward? What's your plan for the future? I will the, keep- Business-wise, I guess. I will keep fighting in, in, in this position because to me it's more about the challenge. For instance, when, when I brought those big clients, I thought like, okay, this is just the first step. After this one, after these three, like I could easily bring their two main competitors each. You know, one, one is retailer, uh, retail, the other one is um, electronics, the other one is makeup. So I thought like, okay, I, I could easily bring the two main competitors. So suddenly it's gonna, it was gonna be nine, right? And then uh, that, it was, that was gonna be like really good for me, for my knowledge, for my know-how, for my resume, of course. And uh, well, the challenge. I will keep fighting for this, trying to make it happen at, at, until, I guess, until I get tired or until I really don't see 
um, a happy ending, mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, but also, I got a project personally. I am gonna open my own line. I've been in this toy industry for a year. I'm gonna open a, 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 a toy line, uh, designer toys. I'm working with a, with a team. We are gonna design some, um, let's say, China-based designer toys. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna be, that's gonna be my third company opened. Like I failed twice. I lost a lot of money already. <laughs> but you what know what? What were the other two companies? Oh, first, first that was um, called MB Chic. I opened it with a with a fellow Mexican. We used to trade with um, Artcraft from Thailand and women's products, coconut made and and um, silk, all Thailand to Mexico. Okay. So we failed. Second was also bags, but that was uh, designer bags with a, with a designer in, in Beijing. So at some point I, I saw no, um, no future, so I sold my part really low. But anyway, sold it. And then I waited a little bit because, yes, I believe you gotta, you gotta stand up and keep, keep going, but, but also you gotta be wise. It's not that I have lots and lots of money coming, you know, here and there. So I had to, to wait a little bit, understand myself again, you know, reinvent myself. And at this point, I think like I got a very good, not just gist, but I kind of mastered the toy industry, like if you will, because that's like kind of huge, but anyway. Um, so I understand the industry. I, I, I know my way around it. I got the designers, I got the, the, the people willing to, to, to make this endeavor with me and uh, I'm just gonna do it, start a new company. But now it's gonna be toys, yeah. So it's, that? It's, it's funny because for the first time you told me about the toy stuff, I was like, dude, I've been making toys for three years as well. So it's uh, one of the first things we've connected on. Um, so let's, let's bring it back to the YouTube. When did you did you start the Mafan Crew first as the first channel? Yeah. Okay. When was that? The Mafan Crew, if I'm not wrong, was like three years and a half ago. Um, and again, because I mean, I really like to talk, <laughs> and I have found, to my displeasure, I have found that we people in general, for real. We have lost this human touch of listening and be patient. I, I see it every day. I go to a meeting, I go meet a friend or, you know, and they talk and talk and talk, but they don't seem to be willing to listen. Mm -hmm. and, and, well, I listen or, or the phone. I mean, even, even this is an interview and we are recording, but I could possibly be like, oh, sorry, you know? But, but no, I mean, to me, it's this human connection and we are losing it. So back then I thought like, yes, I like to talk and I think I got something to say. Besides the fact that I didn't want to be the usual, not that there's anything wrong with that, but the usual YouTuber. What is the usual? The well, usual you mean YouTuber or China YouTuber? Because I mean, that time, that time, was there that many in China? YouTuber, YouTuber in general. Okay. To me, the usual. What is the usual YouTuber? YouTuber is the one that pretty much opens the computer, yeah. the camera there, or the phone, 
And hey guys, I'm with my friend Rico here. So, like the, vlog, Park, the vloggers? Basically. Yep. Um, first, because I, I cherish my privacy. So that's the first thing. Um, secondly, because I wanted to offer something different. My production has been growing. That's just about time. You know, the learning curve and everything. You learn about narratives, you learn about um, equipment, you learn about editing, you know, learn about um, composition and exposure and these and that and audio and you know, you name it. So besides that, you, you have to, I think I lost it again. Oh, why you started the channel? You like talking? Mm -hmm. You, you uh, yeah, you like talking. You wanted to not be the typical YouTuber. The typical YouTuber. So anyway, even even that it's difficult, I wanted to offer something different. So at that point, I thought like, yes, a multicultural crew. So we all talk, and it has been evolving. Mm. I think at some point I will be delivering a very good quality product. Uh, I like to joke about that I'm gonna graduate from YouTube University in two years. Um, art and cinematography <laughs> bachelors at the YouTube University. Uh, so that, and then after that, like a month later, I started uh, Luigi Mangasha because it's everything that didn't fit in the Maffin crew because I consider it like my baby. If, I don't want to just put everything there, like even if it doesn't fit. Everything that doesn't fit goes to the Luigi Mangasha and the language difference, which is more like. But I still don't vlog in, in, in the Luigi Mangasha. I like interviews though. Yeah. Very enriching for me to listen to other people, like the vegans. Yeah, I, I don't know, like, vlogging is, uh, it's interesting because I think, I think when I think about vloggers, I, I think about the dudes who are just like walking around and being, oh, this is me getting coffee in China, or this is me in Chiang Mai riding a bike or whatever. Um, but then at the same time, I guess I could also consider myself a vlogger because when I do these interviews and stuff like that, I do record like my life, you know. So it's it's a little bit it's a little bit different. But I guess the main uh, the value that we're giving is the the content in terms of the communication, what we're talking about, the subject matter, and then the vlogging aspect of it is just the lifestyle. It's like an extra. It's not the main component. Exactly. Of the video. I believe in life. You have to offer, even at a personal level. Yeah. You have to offer a competitive advantage. What makes you different? Yeah. There are so many businessmen, young businessmen. There are so many very good looking people. There are so many very good students. There are so many vloggers. There are so many. What makes you different? So what have you learned? Least? What have you learned uh, in three years doing YouTube videos in China? What I've learned? Yeah. Uh, um. It's, well, I started here, right? Never did it anywhere else. Um, so I couldn't, couldn't compare, but I think it's in the fact that I'm very much aware of the consequences. Because basically, this is illegal. Whoa. At some point. Whoa, what, what do you mean? Like vlogging. Because YouTube is blocked. 
Yeah, I guess so, technically. Technically, that's what I'm yeah. saying. I yeah. mean, like I always say, this is so, not I mean, what are, what, Korea. Yeah, what are the what are the consequences? What are the odds, right? Yeah. But but I like to think like, okay, you know, this is basically illegal, you know? Or or for instance, like have a VPN. Yeah. Stuff like that. Uh, I also think that if the government ever wants to put its hands on you, you're doomed, my friend. Yeah. Anyone. They just they just make it happen. Again, this is not North Korea. I don't think it's ever gonna happen. Maybe. Well, this is like, unless you're really causing any problems, you know, that yeah, then, then that's the thing. But like, if you're just making videos about business in China and you got 20,000 subscribers, even 100,000 subscribers, it's like, they don't care about you. you know? Right. Um, have, you really have to be making noise and be super political, you know what I mean? Following, and, yeah. yeah. But anyway, and also most of our like for us that's the other thing is our viewers are not in China like most of our viewers that too so that's another thing is that I don't think the government cares because we're not really influencing Chinese people true true so probably that like I'm, I'm aware of what I'm doing yeah sorry I'm aware that do you ever hold back and things that you want to talk about because, no, no, because not like, really. Because you're like, I don't really want that to go. If I'm on camera, I, I really sometimes just let myself go. Especially when Mr. Maffin takes over. Yeah. Everything <laughs> let's, starts let's, to... Let's talk about Mr. Maffin. What's, this, what's this character? What's this character that you have? Oh, well, the Mr. <laughs> Mr. Maffin is like the host of the Maffin crew, right? Yeah. Um, he did not appear in the first three seasons because in, in the production um, on, on, on the script, it was just, um, actually it was non-existent. It was about the crew, not the producer or anybody else. Then at some point, people and fans and friends, they were like, oh, you are the Maffan guy. Oh, you are, oh, Mr. Maffan. And I was like, yeah, that sounds good. Then people started talking to me like, you gotta do something, you gotta talk, you gotta appear. So I started doing bits like um, introducing the topic, like, hey guys, like this week's topic is this and that. Then I started the, my own show, or the Mr. Maffin show. But um, the thing is that the Mr. Maffin is more like whatever he wants to say, he just goes and, and uses uh, lots of, of swearing to say that, and he, he doesn't care. Um, probably it's me when I'm drunk. <laughs> um, you know, it's, I, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm making it, right? What's a, can you give a few examples of Muffin crew type videos. For example, I'm, uh, we made one that is uh, the three things that we foreigners hate to listen from Chinese people, telling us that hey, you are so uh, strong. For example, but a guy touching you, like yeah. you know, like okay, dude, like uh, thank you, but it's kind of weird, weird that you yeah. touch me th that much. Yeah, uh, you know, stuff like that. Or for example, uh, a Jamaican friend uh, in the crew. He, he, he told us that, that sometimes people would come to say, hey, what? oh, your skin is, is dark, why? Is, is it, you feel the same as everyone? And he was like, dude, seriously? Just like, asking stupid questions. You're asking me this? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, stuff like that. So that was like a very popular video. Um, uh, one more was uh, talking about how to get a job in, in China. Everyone gave their own opinion. Their own opinions, yeah. Being an English teacher, is Chinese the next English? 
um, you know, in, in terms of popularity and people speaking it. So it's pretty much like subjects that uh, maybe for, uh, foreigners experience in China. Yeah. And then your opinions on those topics. Yeah. Okay. What is the plan for the channel? The plan for the channel. We want to build a bigger audience and a bigger uh, crew. I want to have people in the furthest corner in the world being part of the crew, delivering their video, be on it, speaking their mind. Some people don't. Sorry, some people don't have maybe the courage or the time, or or you name it, to make their own channel and produce it and this and that. But they may want to say something on a certain topic. Yeah. So I wanna, I want the day to to come and post something on Twitter. Like, so next topic, uh, what's the best coffee or is Starbucks a, a shitty coffee? Somebody from Colombia, which they have really good coffee, or Ethiopia, telling me like, yeah, that's or Israel where they don't have Starbucks. So telling me like, yeah, that's bullshit, or this is that and this, and our coffee is better because this and that, you know, and then make a video with with people from very hard to reach places in the world. That's probably the, the aim of, of the show. I want to give voice to everyone, no matter what. I want to have a Muslim person and a black person and a Latin and a Mexican and Trump if possible <laughs> in the same video, talking about <laughs> the same thing. Know you know what I'm saying? Trump would do it too. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I think that was my final question with the YouTube stuff. Oh no, actually, I had one more, two more things with YouTube. <coughs> uh, obviously, we're part of this WeChat group. Yeah. China YouTubers, right? How did you? TSMCC. TSMCC. How did you find? How did you get connected to that group? And have you connected with other YouTubers? You mentioned doing a lot of collaborations. What, what other YouTubers have you connected with in China? Right. I honestly do not remember exactly how I came into the group. Yeah. Probably a fellow YouTuber, of course. Um, now for the collabs, yes. Recently, I just met Serpenza or Serpenzere. Um, he's he's in he lives in Shenzhen, right? He is in Shenzhen, yeah. in um, to the um, one of the Hong Kong borders. Fuzhou. No, the other one, the furthest one, Luohu, I think. Luohu. <clears throat> Somewhere there. So just like I don't know, two or three weeks ago, I met the guy in person because he's such a persona, you know, um, to 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 watch on YouTube and to read or listen in the group, right? Um, so I had my impressions before, and um, but when I met him in person, he was like, you know, probably the biggest YouTuber that I've met in person. And, um, you know, not that I had him <clears throat> on, on, on the level of, uh, I don't know, uh, Johnny Depp or, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, but you'd been following his stuff and it's... But it was, yeah. it was, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was very nice to meet him and, and to actually talk to the person, to the guy, mm -hmm. right? So he's one of them. And I've, uh, I actually made a couple of cameos for him for two of his videos. Okay. And uh, some others from the group, yes. Um, I cannot recall names right now. Let me think. Uh, Brain, 
the guy that does uh, urban exploration. We, I went to Beijing. We went to uh, an abandoned uh, volleyball court back then, and and more. Oh, um, Marco D. He vlogs in Spanish, uh, but he's in the group as well. So for him as well, uh, we collabed like two times already. And yeah, I'm trying to reach out to them, you know, like to me and, and part of the reason this group exists is because we want to- We want to help each other. Exactly, yeah. and, and to build the community. Like to me, the most important um, level of communication is the personal level. Rather than you might, you, you being, for example, the most successful businessman in Guangzhou, or, or you being the most successful YouTuber, or you being the most successful um, researcher in your university or, or whatever, like taking titles aside, the person, to me that's what's important, the person. For example, I'm very excited to one day meet Primo, which is like the godfather of, of the group, right? <laughs> he's such a character. I think he's like very funny, on point, and a very, of course, um, loving father. And, and his work is just also really, really good. So anyways, like lots of characters in, 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 in that group. I hope one day I, I will I was surprised to find out how many <clears throat> China-based YouTubers actually were, you know, because many. I just didn't think there were that many. I mean, uh, to be honest, I'm like I'm not I'm not somebody that watches a ton of like YouTubers and stuff like that. So maybe that's part of it. But I was surprised that there was like in our group was like about 200 people in our thing right now. Yeah, like two, 270 or so. 270 close to 300, and then there's yeah. another group that is like another China YouTuber. Probably group as well. half is the same people, yeah. and the other half so is like. I don't know, maybe so like, close to 500 yeah. overall. It's quite a bit. That's, yeah. Um, this is a personal question, because I'm not sure what the answer is anymore, just based on the numbers. Are there many YouTubers talking about business in China? Like, as a specific, like, similar to the way I'm doing it? No, I haven't seen. So I'm still, like, so my impression is correct about that. You, you, got, you got a good niche. I like it. Um, and my thing is not, obviously I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be broad with business, but my specific thing is manufacturing, of course. Well, S Scotty, oh, I met Scotty, the, the, the iPhone guy. Okay. Also, oh, like, really neat guy. Anyways, um, he does some um, factory factory insights yeah. he goes to factories and talks about processes and machines and materials but i do not think he takes it on a business level he takes it on an engineering, engineering. level so he's an engineer <coughs> and he's like he is he's just talking about something that he's interested in right. rather than the actual business side of it and set, okay setting up orders how to work with the factory stuff like yeah. that Okay, he's cool. doing that. Yeah, and there's there's room within the niche. Like I'm not an engineer. I know a lot of technical stuff because of my experience, but I'm not going to go to a factory and explain in detail what the machine does. You know, um, I can explain it broadly. So that's a different niche. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Probably I would love to probably meet him and do a, do a collab with him. That'd, that'd be, be cool. that'd be cool, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. He he also goes to fact. Well, you know, but it's really close. 
Guangzhou too. So, uh, what advice do you have for me, up and coming uh, YouTuber? Because I've been doing it. Well, we launched technically in July, but like we only put out um, well September, but we only put out like two videos at the time. I had a marketing guy working with me, and then we didn't do anything. And then I would say, in my opinion, our official launch was in December. Since then, I've been releasing consistently. But yeah, what do you? What kind of advice do you think you have for me? Well, not that I'm very much experienced. Got well, you've been doing it for years, four, more yeah. than you, of yeah. course. Uh, Even if you've been doing it for one year, I'd still ask you. To me, really, there is no, there's no formula. There's no, um, there's no secret to this. You could be making videos like myself i've been out there like three years and a half whatever i got um over 150 videos different stuff like i also do memes and these and that uh, but regardless one day maybe a person like me could have one of those videos picked up by chance by luck by who knows and then start making um, a comeback, if you will, in, in YouTube. And then from there, um, YouTube, YouTube star or, or, you know. So there's no formulas, first of all. Second, there are some techniques proven that those work. So I would say that, in my opinion, you gotta keep it real, who you are, you know what I'm saying? like. Like many times they talk in, in the group actually, like like everybody's Casey Neistat. Yeah. Um, honestly I didn't even know the guy before. <laughs> you know, you know you know who was my kind of um Your my boarding guru in, in YouTube back in the day? Peter Chow. Okay. That's a Hong Kongese guy that went to Canada and started vlogging. To me it was hilarious. So I was like, okay, let's and I follow him for a while. <clears throat> and uh, and then a guy in, in Mexico like uh, doing doing news and, and anyway so that's like my two biggest guys one English one Spanish different formats different content anyway so um, keep it real exactly what you do have a competitive advantage and of course be consistent uh, I'm sure you have it man that's why you know I told you yesterday <laughs> like I'm, I'm impressed because I used to be like you like having it very well understood what I have to do every day. Like even like by minute, like, oh, okay, now it's time to take my pill. Now it's time, you know? People used to make fun of me, but I finished to bachelor's degree at the same fucking time, presential, two different universities, driving all the time, uh, but I did it. I got my two, my two uh, diplomas and I can, well, I'm very proud of it. Yeah. Um, and that was just because of that, seriously. Not because I'm smart, I may, I may be just average smart, but it was because I was organized. I'm super smart. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in my case, yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> but, but seriously, like, yeah. be organized. So that, be consistent, and um, you'll make it, eventually. It may take one year, two years, three years, you will get somewhere because you have to believe in what you do. Mm -hmm. 
people might tell you like, oh, come on, like 30 minute video, who's gonna listen to you? Nobody knows you. Business is a very small niche market, this and that. If you believe, you're gonna make it happen. Like my math and crew, I've been... And I think it also depends on what your what your motivations are that for, too. for doing it, right? Like I don't, I'm not doing it because I wanna become a famous person. I, I enjoy sitting down having conversations with people. I think that I have some value to provide with my experiences in, in business in China. Yeah. And I don't see that many people doing, putting out the content that, I, I, that I'm doing. So that was pretty much it. There's the same reason why I started my podcast was I was actually in Canada searching for China business podcast. And I found like one, one or two, one guy, he was not very consistent. And then the other guy was, uh, his name is Michael Michelini. He's very consistent, but his podcast was more about banking. I was looking for manufacturing stuff. Yeah. So I was like, okay, when I got to a stage, when I started doing this, I was like, there still isn't any other podcast like this. I'm going to do it myself. You know? That's exactly. That's what it is. And of course, the other part is it helps me get customers. <laughs> True. <laughs> which, uh, which is probably, the, if not number one, it's number two reason. Everybody has to figure out their own formula, yeah. right? There's one girl, um, her name is uh, Mark Caribe, like in Spanish. She does something like you. She makes her videos to approach potential clients. So, because I mean, she's got her website and she sells things and you know, but even though she's actually hitting YouTube, that's not her main one source of income and um, target. Yeah. But it just it just helps, right? Um, so it's it's very very valid, and everybody has their own formula. If someone this is closing questions, if someone was to understand you better, what three books, podcasts? vlogs should they should they check out to understand me yeah the mafra crew <laughs> Luigi <laughs> no I'm just kidding okay we'll um, put a link in the description for that great great yeah. great great so huh that's a good question um let me see Even though I do business, I don't read much about business. It's very much intuitive what I do and based on my family's experience, my brother, my father, and, and um, university-based and, and research here and there online. I'm more of a, more of a novel kind of guy when I read. Uh, I like so to imagine can, things. Yeah, so you can you can give novels. That's fine. For example, uh, around the world in eighty days. That was really really good to me. Mm -hmm. I'm reading the uh, Divine Comedy. Is it comedy? I, I don't know the book. Yes, Divine Comedy. Divine uh, Dante Alighieri. Okay. Um, I can check it out real quick for you. And. Um, well, everything else would be just, yeah, divine comedy, I was right. Just didn't want to get it wrong, like my precedent, <laughs> right? That's going to show that Mexicans are dumb. Um, I'm not that dumb. And um, 
good websites. Uh, the Business Insider I like, good articles here and there. And uh, as a millennial, I think you have to be open to what the internet tells you, but not everything, you know? You can also feed yourself with bullshit. Yeah. If you just open internet and, and I don't know. Like, I appreciate the effort that some vloggers have, even if they make pranks, which I don't like, but I appreciate the effort. It's yeah. like, okay, you're being creative. Oh, now you're being an asshole and this and that, but <clears throat> at least they're trying something. To me, that's the value of it. For example, this prank of the clown. That guy the other the other day almost got shot. I this guy makes pranks. I don't know the name. I don't follow him. Just saw it on Facebook. Gets uh, makes a prank on a on a tunnel in in a park somewhere in the U.S. So it's a very scary clown. Somebody's filming. He is comes. He, is he dressed like the like a clown, clown like from the it? it. Yeah, kind it? of thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, with a hammer or something. So this guy doesn't take shit. Comes around. Pulls out the gun. Pulls out a gun. And then the client's like, no, no, sorry, bro, it's just a prank. You see? <laughs> He's putting himself on the line. I know it's a prank and it may be bullshit for many people, but yeah. to me, it has some value. He's trying something. Whatever. So that's the that's the point. Like you gotta you gotta try something, you gotta make the effort. Right? So um oh fuck, I forgot again. <laughs> uh you're saying you should be open to the internet, mm. but not too open. Sorry, that. So even if you watch that kind of stuff, I mean, that would be that would be your time, and you choose yourself to you choose to feed yourself with that kind of thing. But also, you can choose wisely. Yeah. Read about what you like. You like comics? Read about comics. You like uh, cinematography? You read about how to uh, even vlogs about how to edit and compose and expose your pictures and this and that. Or business? You read about business. So, what? internet, that would be my third. What is uh, 20, uh, 80, 20 principle? I'm forgetting my own question. What's the smallest thing that you've done that's brought you the biggest results being uh, living your life in China? Come again. The smallest thing that you've done that's brought you the biggest return during your time in, in China? Whether it's life, relationships, YouTube, business, whatever. Um, the smallest thing that I've done, I guess, being grateful. When I wrote my thesis uh, of law, because in one of the universities I had to write a thesis, in the other one I did not, because different styles, different. Uh, so, one of the quotes that I used is that. Uh, Gratefulness is the greatest virtue of a man. Um, that reads that way, uh, more or less words. So I believe so. So perhaps being grateful to everything that I have or that I get, even if it's just a smile in the morning, mm. which is very hard to get here, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and that I appreciate from, Latin, from Latins. We always say hello and give away a smile on the way, in the subway, in the elevator, like, you know. So that, be grateful for everything that I have, and that has given me more friends, which sooner or later translates to more network. And um, 
to a better life, I believe. I am a sociable person, so I kind of need to have people around, if you will. I mean, not exactly that I don't know how to be with myself, which I know, but, but, I, but I want, I like to share. Part of the Muffin Crew thing again, just share what you have. The knowledge you have, it's meant, and even the money or, or the riches you, you, you accumulate in life, they are meant to give. If you keep them, there is, not, there is no good doing that. That's what my father taught me. Um, at some point you have to give, give back. You don't even know who, but give back something as much as you can, in the way you can. A small gesture, a picture, a video, a pad on the shoulder, something, I don't know. Give back. All right, man. Luis, Very thank nice you meeting for being you, on the video. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any comments for me or Mr. Mafan, drop a comment in the comment section below. And of course, like I said, we'll have links to everything that we talked about in the description. Cheers. Don't forget smile, guys. And sorry about my mishaps, but I'm drunk. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs>